Thanks for listening to the Faith Church Podcast. We are one church at five locations, streaming online every Sunday morning at live.faithishere.org. We hope that you're challenged and encouraged by today's message. And if you'd like to watch or listen to previous messages, or if you'd like to learn more about who we are as a church and how you can stay connected, head over to faithishere.org. I am so excited about this morning's message. Take your Bibles out and turn to Zechariah. We are going to be looking at Zechariah today. I will tell you that the prophets have been challenging because they have so much, so many of them have a message of judgment that is going to come upon Judah, that is going to come upon Israel, even though they usually have a a bright spot to bring out. Well, the prophet we're going to talk about today is Zechariah, and it is a prophecy that is filled with hope. For the church, hope for us, it's, a pro- it's the most positive of all the minor prophets we're going to look at, and that's why we've chosen to look at this one last. And I will tell you, some of you guys are a little nervous, you're worried, uh, okay, pastor's at 10 minutes till now, he's going to preach one hour, no. Uh, we're going to take some time at the end. I believe after this message is preached, we're going to just want to stand and praise the Lord and worship him and exalt him, so we will have a time of worship and praise at the end of the service today. So Zechariah, we're going to be looking at that together. I hope you've enjoyed our spiritual journey. We have been on a great spiritual journey learning about forgotten voices, learning about these minor prophets who were often overlooked in their own generation and, and even overlooked in our own generation. But every single minor prophet has a powerful story and message for us today to hang on to. Uh, first, we looked at Jonah. Jonah could be called the reluctant prophet. And God has to get his attention and reroute him, and he is going to take him to the city of Nineveh, and that city is going to be transformed by the power of God. And yet, he's got to use a very unusual way to get Jonah there, and you all know the story. And then we looked at Hosea. That is the prophet and the prostitute. And we looked at how God says, I want you to go marry Gomer, and I want you to go marry a prostitute, and I want you to give your life to her. And it's a picture of what Jesus Christ came, or God came to do for the nation of Israel and the Lord for every single one of us, we are Gomer. We are the ones who need the Lord, need his love, need his salvation. And Hosea comes along and buys us out of our slavery. Aren't you glad the Lord bought us back? What a great, great story from Hosea. Habakkuk, that meant to wrestle. And so we saw this wrestling match that went on between God and Habakkuk, and he can't understand why the Babylonians, people worse than them, are going to come and take Judah over. And he learns a powerful lesson in the midst of all this. The righteous person will live by faith. Even when we don't understand what God is doing, we'll live by faith. We'll trust in God. God has a plan, and God's going to work it all out. Amen. Micah, we learned about the fundamentals. He says, Israel, you've left the fundamentals, and they were three things, act justly, show mercy, and walk humbly with your God. And so we looked at Micah. And last week, I heard Jason crushed it while I was gone right here. I got to go preach in Ridgeville, had a ball up there in one of our brand new churches, and Jason brought the word here, and he talked about Amos. And Amos was a, was a person, his name meant burden, and he carried a burden of the Lord for the poor. He carried a burden for the widow. He carried a burden for the orphan. He carried a burden for the aliens. And we saw how this burden of the Lord consumed Amos, 
and, and he challenged Israel, take care of the least of these among you. Don't ignore them. Don't shut them out. And that's what God calls his church to do today, amen, is to take care of those who are the least of these. Now, the one thing about these minor prophets, and most of them, now Jonah didn't, Jonah prophesied to Nineveh, but the other five we've looked at, the other four we've looked at, all brought messages of prophecy of coming judgment to either Israel in the north or Judah in the south. Remember, the kingdom was divided after King Solomon, and so his son divided the kingdom up, and so Israel, the northern kingdoms of the northern ten tribes came to be known as the nation of Israel. The southern two tribes came to be known as the nation of Judah, and they all announced coming judgment. Judgment's coming. God's coming. Because of your idolatry, because of your fornication, because of your sin, judgment is coming upon your land. And and true to his Every one of these prophets' words, the prophecies all were fulfilled just like they said it would be. Don't you know God keeps his word? If he says it, it's going to happen. It will transpire. It will take place. And so in 722, the Assyrians come and they destroy Israel in the north. And they come in and they ravage the land. They kill the people. They take the best and brightest into captivity. They will repopulate the land with people they have conquered from other nations and other Assyrians. And so they repopulation the nation of Israel. Now, by the time you get to the New Testament, it is no longer called Israel because the Jews considered them to be half-breeds. And the capital of the north was a city called Samaria. So you remember the story about the good Samaritan and the lady he meets at the well, the Samaritan woman in John 4 that he meets at the well. They came to be known as Samaritans, not Israelites, because they are this mix between Jewish and pagan-worshiping gods. And so when Jesus meets the woman at the well, he says, you don't even know the God you are worshiping. You have gotten so far from Jehovah God. And that's exactly what the captivity and the conquering did to the nation of Israel. 136 years later, though, Judah is going to be taken over, this time by the Babylonians. And so King Nebuchadnezzar comes in with the Babylonians, and they lay siege to the city of Jerusalem. In fact, it is a year and a half. They surround the city. They starve out the city. The the pictures described in the Old Testament, even the parents begin to eat their young children. It is a terrible, awesome, gruesome siege warfare. And finally, they break through the walls and they destroy the city of Jerusalem. They burn down the temple. And you know the story of the devastation that happened under Babylonian rule. Again, they take the best and brightest into captivity. And they take, you know, Daniel, remember the story of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and so many others from the area of Jerusalem and Judah in the south. They take them into captivity, but this time, God makes a promise, and he says, you will be in captivity for 70 years. At the end of 70 years, you will be able to return back to Jerusalem, return back to Judah in the south. You will be able to go back to your homeland. God raises up a new king. A man by the name of Cyrus, who is the Medo-Persian Empire, and he allows the people to go back and repopulate Jerusalem and go back to their homeland. And you know the story of Nehemiah? 
Nehemiah is going to be the one who's going to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Ezra is going to be the one who's going to lead the rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem. And all this is going to be rebuilt over the next uh, several years, many years. This is when Zechariah comes along. Zechariah is not prophesying judgment to come. He's a part of the prophets who have returned back from exile into the land, okay? So he is gonna be returning back into Jerusalem, into Judah, and he is gonna have good things to say, and he's gonna bring a whole message of hope to the people of Judah. Uh, 20 years after they return is when Zechariah writes his prophecy. And so they are still facing opposition, they're still in the process of rebuilding their nation. They are still, uh, there are still those who are discouraged. They are down, they're ravaged, they're trying to pull things back together again. They still feel very, very hopeless. Now, how many of us have ever felt hopeless? Let me see your hand. It is that thing, that discouragement, that hopelessness, that fear, that anxiety of what's gonna happen, what's gonna take place, how this is all gonna play out, those feelings of hopeless. Well, if you've ever felt like that, I want you to tune in this morning and I want you to hear this incredible message of hope that Zechariah brings to the people of Judah. So let's stand together, take your Bible out and look at Zechariah chapter six and verse number nine and we're gonna get right into it today. Zechariah six and verse nine. I wanted to give you the background yeah, it's hard to keep the prophets separate, even all the prophets. It's hard to, you read their writings, you read through it, and they're all at different times, they're writing to different people. And so I kind of wanted to give you a background and a timeline of how this was happening so you could understand the message of Zechariah. By the way, Zechariah is the longest of the minor prophets, uh, 211 verses. And uh, also, Zechariah was a very common name. Remember, we've talked about some of these prophets' names as we've gone along. Zechariah was a common name. You find it 30 times in the Word of God. There are 30 different Zacharias. And uh, 29 of them are found in the Old Testament. One is found in the New Testament. Who remembers who Zechariah in the New Testament was? Zechariah was the father of John the Baptist. And so Zechariah, and really kind of the division between the Old Testament and the New Testament was John the Baptist. He was the last of the great prophets, in the, uh, and so he is called that by Jesus Christ himself. He is the greatest of the prophets, was even John the Baptist. So he's the bridge between the Old Testament and Jesus Christ in the New. His dad was also named Zechariah. Now you may be wondering, why was Zechariah such a common name? Listen to what it means. It means the Lord remembers the Lord remembers. And I think every time an Israeli mom and dad named their child Zechariah, they were reminding God of his promise. Lord, you remember. You remember your promise. You remember the promise of Messiah. You remember the promise of us living in our own land. You remember God. And so they named their son Zechariah, reminding God that the Lord remembers. And so in, in Zechariah the prophet, you're going to see how the Lord is going to remember. Also, interesting, 
Zechariah is quoted more than any other prophet in the Old Testament except Isaiah. 71 times you will find the New Testament referring back to Zechariah. And so very, very used. He's a messianic book. It is all about Jesus Christ. It is all about the Messiah to come. And so we're going to have a time this morning. Do you believe that? Say amen. The hope is found in Jesus Christ. Our hope is found in him. Let's read Zechariah 6 and verse number 9. The word of the Lord came to me, take silver and gold from the exiles, Heldai, Tobajah, Jedidiah, I don't know, something like that, who have arrived from Babylon. So they've come back to captivity. They've come back into their land, take some gold from them. Go the same day to the house of Josiah, son of Zephaniah, Take the silver and gold and make a crown and set it on the head of the high priest Joshua, the son of Jehozadak. Now, now Joshua means uh, God saves. And so you even begin to see some of the parallels that are taking place with the prophet who is there. Tell him, this is what the Lord Almighty said, here is the man whose name is the branch. He will branch out from his place and build the temple of the Lord. Now, they've already started the reconstruction on the temple when he's writing this. It is he who will build the temple of the Lord, and he will be clothed with majesty and will sit and rule on his throne. And he will be a priest on his throne, and there will be harmony between the two. Let's pray. Father, we love you so much. We thank you, God, that you are so amazing and so good and so awesome, and we bless you today, and we thank you there is hope in the Lord Jesus Christ that he has been sent for us today, and we love you, God, and we give you glory and honor and praise in Jesus' name, amen. Turn to someone, tell them they look awesome, and then you may be seated. Now, there's a few things that immediately jump out to us in this text. And the first, and this is a reference to Jesus Christ, and you're going to see it in just a moment as I begin to unfold this for you. But the first thing we learn about Jesus Christ right here is that Jesus was one of us. He became a man, fully man, fully God, but he became a man that he might identify with us today. You say, Pastor, where do you get this? Well, here's the situation. They've come back and God tells Zechariah to tell the people, go get some silver and gold and make a crown and put it on the head of the then priest, a man by the name of Joshua. And so they took and they formed and they fashioned this crown and they set it on his head. There was only one problem though. If you were a priest, you were from the tribe of Levi. If you were going to be a king, you came from the royal line of David. You had to be from the tribe of Judah. So now you have a priest from the tribe of Levi, and they come and they place the crown on his head. It was impossible at that time for a priest to ever serve as king or a king to ever be a priest. Remember when the kings went in and they tried to offer the sacrifice? They were not the priest. They were not allowed to go in and do that. What would happen to him? He was struck by leprosy. 
You could not merge the two offices. You could never have someone who was a king ever become a priest, and you could never have a priest ever become a king. And so what they are attempting to do is absolutely scandalous and ridiculous to all those who are watching because they're saying, wait a minute, time out, he's a priest, he's not a king, what are you doing placing a crown on his head? And you see a few verses later, they're gonna have to give that crown back. What is he doing? He is using this guy as a symbol of someone who would come who would both be our priest and our king, and he is pointing to the Lord Jesus Christ. And you'll see this in the prophecies right here that he mentions. Zachariah's associates are probably going nuts when they place this crown on his head. But it's a symbolic act pointing to a future king who would come, who would also be his priest. His name is Jesus. Now, why do you see this? I want you to go back and look at verse number 12 again. Tell him this is what the Lord Almighty said. Here is the man whose name is the branch. Look at that word, the branch. And he will branch out from this place and will build the temple of the Lord. Now, in in Matthew 2 and verse 23, he says he lived in a town called Nazareth He fulfilled what was said through the prophets. He will be called a Nazarene. Well, when you go back and you read the prophets, nowhere do you find the word Nazarene used except right here because the word Nazarene or Nazar means branch. So when Jesus Christ is born, he says he fulfills what the prophets wrote. Who's he talking about? The prophet Zechariah, who said, there will come a man who is called the branch, the Nazarene. Who's he talking about? Who's the Nazarene? Jesus of Nazareth. The hometown of Nazareth meant the branch or the shoot. And so he says he will be a man, and so there will come a shoot out of Israel, a branch out of Israel who is called the branch, and we know him to be Jesus Christ. He fulfills that prophecy. And notice he says, he will be a man who is called the branch. Listen, Jesus Christ, and we're gonna talk about it at Christmas time, you're gonna hear all about it. He became flesh. He is fully God in every way, but he is also fully man. Jesus is like us. He is one like us. He is fully human, fully man. Here is the man whose name is called the branch, a shoot out of humanity. It also says this man, this branch, will build the temple. When Jesus Christ comes and when he is born, we learn in John chapter one that he came and what? Dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten son of God. The word dwelt in the, in the Bible means tabernacled or a tent. So he is the tabernacle of God and we beheld his glory. The glory of God is no longer confined to a place. The glory resides into, in Jesus Christ. And what did he tell the people when they, he said, you can destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Who is the righteous branch that is going to build the temple of the Lord? It is Jesus Christ himself. This is a prophetic word talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. And what is it saying? He is a man like us. And because he became a man, because he took on flesh, he knows how we feel. 
He knows what we go through. He knows everything we experience in life. Jesus knows. And because he knows, because he was a man, we can go to him and he totally understands and he gets it and he knows what we are going through. Now turn to Hebrews chapter 2. I want to show you Hebrews 2 where the writer of Hebrews talks about this. Look at chapter 2 and look at verse number 14. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death. That is the devil. He had to become a man so he could die. So he could be our sacrifice. Gods don't die. God doesn't die. You can't kill God. So, he, so that he could be our sacrifice, he had to become a man. And free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. For surely it is not the angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason, he had to, make his, like, he had to be made like his brothers in every way. He had to be made like us in every way in order that he might become the merciful and faithful high priest in service to God and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted. Because he became a man, he can help us who are being tempted, tested, tried in any way. Listen, church, that gives us hope today. He ate, he slept, he laughed, he cried, he suffered, he bled, and he died. That means when we pray, Jesus gets it. He knows, he knows, he knows. When you feel abandoned or forsaken, when you feel your best friend just bailed out on you, when you feel like you're all alone, we can remember the cry of Jesus Christ on Calvary who said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He knows what it's like to be abandoned and forsaken. Mm. When you're tempted by the enemy and you don't think you can overcome, we're reminded of Jesus Christ on that mount of temptation. And for 40 days and 40 nights, he went to battle with Satan himself and he overcame every temptation. And because he overcame, we can overcome through him as well. When you feel betrayed by a friend, someone who turned their back on you, Jesus knows what it's like to be betrayed. You ever been talked about? You ever had somebody you trusted talk about you and gossip about you and turn against you and get mad and cut you out? Jesus knows uh, there was a man, one, a close, close friend by the name of Judas. For 30 pieces of silver, he sold him into slavery. Zechariah also quotes about this event. Turn, if you would, to Zechariah 11, just real quick, verses 12 to 13. I told them, if you think it best, give me my pay, but if not, keep it. And so they paid me 30 pieces of silver. Who's he talking about? Jesus. It's a prophecy pointing to the Messiah. And the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter, the handsome price at which they price me. So I took up the 30 pieces of silver and threw them into the house of the Lord to the potter. Remember Judas, he tried to go back. He says, I want to give the money back, and he throws it back into the temple. 
It's a fulfillment to the letter. Isn't the Bible an amazing book? Every word comes true, just like it's described in the Old Testament. It just shows how awesome the word of God is. He was betrayed. He knew what it's like to feel body. Listen, when you're hurting, I get more aches and pains the older I get. I don't know where they come from. I don't know where they, what happened to them. You bend the wrong way, your, your back goes. My back goes out more often than I do now. And, and, it's bad, and so your back goes out, your eyes get worse, and all this happens, and, and sometimes we go through serious, real times of pain. I will tell you, Jesus had nails in his hands and nails in his feet, and he knows what it's like to have a crown of thorns pressed on his brow, and he is beaten, and his back is laid open. He knows, and because he knows all those things, Jesus is my hope today. And when you call on the Lord and your prayers are filled with tears and anxiety and heartache, you are not praying to some distant, detached God who just created you and sent this orbit into motion. He knows and he cares because he was a man just like us. He became like one of the brothers so that he might give his life for us. We are not praying to some distant, detached God. You're praying to God who knows where you've been and knows how to bring hope into your hopeless situation. Second thing, the observation right here in Zechariah that we see is he is also our king. He's our king today. And look, if you would, at verse number 13 again. It says, it is he who will build the temple of the Lord and he will sit clothed with majesty and will sit and rule on his throne. He cannot be talking about historical Joshua here. He could not be talking about that priest here because he never became the king of Israel. He was not qualified. He himself was not from the tribe of Judah. Who's he talking about? He's talking about Jesus Christ. He will sit and rule on his throne and he will be a priest on his throne and there will be harmony between the two that can only be fulfilled by the Lord Jesus Christ. Now listen to me, when Jesus Christ came the first time, he came in obscurity. The, the, the Jews were looking for a Messiah. They were looking for a king. They were looking for a conqueror. They were somebody who would come in power and in majesty and royalty. And this is what they were looking for. And this is why so many miss Jesus Christ at his first coming. Why? Because he's born like a babe in a manger. He's born in a feeding trough. He's born in the most humblest of circumstances and situations. And, and so he is going to be maligned. He's going to be rejected. He is going to ultimately be murdered. Uh, only a handful recognized him as the true Messiah. God gives his announcement to a few shepherds, gives the announcement to a few wise men, and he makes this announcement to just a few who knew that now a king was being born in the city of Bethlehem. But I will tell you, when Jesus Christ returns, he will come in glory and honor and power. Turn to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2 and verse number 9. It says, therefore God has exalted him to the highest place, a place of rule, a place of majesty, a place of dominion, and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Mm. 
Turn to Zechariah again, Zechariah 9. I want you to see this verse. It is so neat in showing how Scripture's fulfilled, how this prophet, 71 times quoted in the New Testament. This is one of them, Zechariah 9 and verse number 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation. Who's he talking about? Jesus. Now, how do we know for sure it's about Jesus? It goes on to say, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, on the full full of a donkey. What is he talking about? He's talking about Palm Sunday. He's talking about tri triumphal entry back into Jerusalem. He's talking about the waving of the palm branches. Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They were recognizing him on that day as their Messiah. And they throw their, their coats down on the ground. The donkey comes in. The disciples are following him. They're waving their palm branches and they are worshiping and glorifying and praising their king i just read it to you verse number nine see your king comes to you jesus christ is our king wow now listen to me that means that because he is my king he has absolute authority absolute authority listen if you are the king you don't have to have elections there's no Florida recounts. You're king, and it stops right there, right? There's no committees to run it by. There's nothing else going on. It is an absolute monarchy. It is an absolute authority. It is the king who has all authority to make all the decisions. The king has the power over everything, even the power to forgive sins. So when Jesus comes riding into that donkey, what is he doing? He's coming to Jerusalem as the king, but he would also lay down his life for us so that through him we might have the forgiveness of sins. Now listen to me. The king has all authority, has all the power to do what? He has all the authority to forgive sin. I don't care what you've done, how bad you may have been, What's gone wrong? How deep in sin you've gone, whatever you think you are, where you've been, what's happened, Jesus has the authority and power to forgive your sins. Why? Because that king rode in on a donkey and gave his life for us. There's, there's a neat story in, in Luke 15. And they're, 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 there's four buddies, and they're trying to bring their buddy on a mat and uh, a cot, and they're carrying him, and, and they're going to try to get him to Jesus Christ. Only problem is they can't get into where Jesus Christ is because the house they were all sitting in was absolutely jam-packed. And so the Bible tells us they go on top of the roof, they tear up the roof, the debris is falling down. You can imagine the scene and the noise that's being made, and Jesus there trying to teach, he's trying to heal the sick, he's trying to do his stuff, and they let him down with ropes in front of Jesus Christ. And the whole crowd is watching this scene and Jesus looks at this guy and he's paralyzed and he says something. He says, son, your sins be forgiven you. Now, that's not why they brought him there in the first place. They needed him to be healed. They wanted their buddy made well. They'd seen his authority. They'd seen his power. 
But what's he say instead? Your sins be forgiven. Now, there are also Pharisees and Sadducees in the house, and they're going, wait a minute, blasphemy. And they make a statement, only God can forgive sins. Now, when Jesus makes this statement, son, your sins be forgiven you, he is overtly claiming to be God. Right? And so they're flabbergasted, they're mad, they're getting ready to stone him to death, and then he makes another statement, he's just toying with them at this point. He says that you might know that the, that the Son of Man, which is a messianic title, hath the power to forgive sins, I say unto you, rise, take up your mat, and walk. And he uses the healing ministry to bring proof to his power to forgive sin. He is our king, he has absolute power and authority to what? Forgive our sins. He is my king today. Mm, 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 mm. Our hope is found in a king who can give, forgive our sins and give us a brand new life. Because he's king, he also has authority over death. You talk about authority. His authority over death itself which the Bible says is our final enemy. Now, now, now follow me here. Revelation 1 and 18, you see this glorious picture. John the Revelator is there. He gets this vision of Jesus Christ, which is amazing in all his royalty and all of his splendor. And he says in 1 and 18, he says, I am the living one. This is Jesus speaking now. I am the living one. I was dead and behold, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of what? Death and Hades. Because I am the king, I have the authority over what? Over death itself. Mm. And when I put our faith in him, he gives me victory over death. Why? Because he's got the keys. I know the king. I know the key holder. And so we read in 1 Corinthians 15, that glorious chapter about the resurrection from the dead, in verse 57, he concludes by saying, but thanks be to God, he gives us the victory, he's talking about over death, our own resurrection, through our Lord Jesus Christ. Because he's king, I'm gonna live again. Because he's king, he conquered death. Because he's king, he still holds the keys. And so that means I will never die that second death. I may die here, I may fall asleep. The Lord takes me to heaven. That's okay. I just pass from this world into the next. Why? Because my king holds the keys. Authority. Authority. That's who Jesus is. He's our king. Zechariah also points to a future day when darkness will be defeated for all time. I want you to turn back to Zechariah. Look at chapter 14 and verse number nine. All this is in Zechariah, an amazing, amazing prophet. Verse nine, it, said, it says, the Lord will be king over the whole earth. So now he reigns in my heart, but he's gonna set his kingdom up in that future kingdom over what? Over the whole earth. He rules and reigns during the millennium as king out of Jerusalem. He rules and reigns for all eternity out of the new heavens and the new earth. Revelations 20, 21, and 22. And so on that day, there will be one Lord and his name, the only name. His name, the only name. He is gonna rule and reign forever and ever and ever. 
that person, that name, that authority, what? Gives me hope. I don't care how bleak and dark it may seem to be, Jesus is on his throne. He's in charge. We can turn to him. And my God can do anything. He's getting ready to send his disciples out as ambassadors for the king. And he tells them in Matthew 28, 18, all authority in what? Heaven and in earth has been given to me. Now you go and make disciples. You go and do the stuff because I've got authority and I'm passing it on to you. Wow, we are children of the king. Mm, 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 mm. I can tell I'm more excited about this than you guys are. You'll get it. Let it, let it matriculate. That's, I just wanted to throw a big word in there. Let it get in your heart. Let it get in your mind and, and meditate on this. Wow. The third thing that gives me hope today is Jesus Christ is our priest. Is our priest. Verse number 13, I will read it again. It, will be, it is he who will build the temple of the Lord and he will be clothed with majesty and sit and rule on his throne. There's the king. And he will be a priest on his throne. And there will be harmony between the two, the priesthood and the kingship. Now, 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 let me solve the dilemma for you right away. Your mind's going back to point one, to my introduction. You're saying, wait a minute, Joshua couldn't be the king and the priest because he was from the wrong tribe. He was from the tribe of Levi. Therefore, he could not be the king because he was not from the tribe of Judah. Jesus Christ is what? From the tribe of Judah. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is a descendant from King David, who is also from the tribe of Judah. Therefore, he has all power to be the king. He fits that description. But you say, wait a minute. If he's from the tribe of Judah, he's not from the tribe of Levi. Therefore, how can he be the priest? You ever thought about that? So technically, he couldn't have been king and priest both. But though he was not from the tribe of Levi, the writer of Hebrews explains how this worked. He says Jesus can serve as not just a priest, but our high priest because he is after a higher priestly order, the priesthood of Melchizedek. Remember Abraham, when he comes back from taking the spoils of war, he offers the tenth of everything that he has, the tenth of the spoils to a high priest called Melchizedek. We know nothing about him. We don't know where he was born. We don't know when he died. But, but it, it gives us the picture of almost an eternal priesthood, one that never, ever stops. And so he is of a higher priesthood, not the tribe of Levi, but from the order of Melchizedek. No other individual in history can be united in those two offices. And then what did I just read to you? There will be harmony between the two, the priesthood and the kingly rule. On the cross, listen to me, Jesus performed the work of a high priest. Because what is he doing? Only a priest could offer up a sacrifice. Jesus offered up the sacrifice for our sins. He is not only offering up the sacrifice as our priest, he also became the sacrifice because he is the perfect sinless lamb of God. So he is both the priest and the sacrifice at the same time. Now here's the deal. 
Our sin puts a barrier between us and God. There is something between us. There's something that blocks us from having a right relationship with God. God is holy, but our sin makes us unholy and separates me from him. There is only one person who can bridge the gap between God and man. That is who? Jesus Christ, my perfect high priest. He is the bridge. He is the one that takes my blood and my, my sins, takes his blood and presents it for, before God and said, this guy's okay. He is covered by me. Only one who died for my sins has the authority to forgive sin, and that is Jesus Christ. Now I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter seven. By the way, Hebrews is that book that links the Old Testament and the New Testament. I heard someone say this week that they told me, a well-known pastor said, I no longer go to the Old Testament, I just preach out of the New. How can you understand the New without going back to the Old? How can you handle all scripture is given by man for doctrine, for correction, for reproof, for instruction, for training in righteousness? How can you say that when the scripture they had, when the scripture Paul's alluding to is the Old Testament scripture? How can you say that the Old Testament is not valid today? The types, everything, Jesus Christ fulfills what? All that was written in the law and the prophets. And so the Old Testament and you come to faith, you're gonna hear Old Testament sermons. We're to, we're to know the whole counsel of God, okay? So the New Testament gives understanding of the Old and fulfills all that was written in the Old Testament. Hebrews is the one writer, if you don't believe in the Old Testament, you gotta throw out the book of Hebrews because he will quote it over and over again. Now I'm gonna take you to one of those verses right now. That's a side note, I just wanted to rant and rave a little bit. I feel better now, I got that off my chest. Hebrews 7, look at verse 23. Now there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Priests would come and go in and out of the temple, offering sacrifice first for themselves, then for the nation of Israel. Therefore, and, and this whole chapter is about Melchizedek. So if you want to learn where this priesthood is, Melchizedek, it's Hebrews chapter 7. And I don't have time to read it all. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to what? Intercede for them. So when I go to Jesus Christ, when I go to my faithful high priest. There's this picture of the high priest interceding for us. And what's it mean? It means there's, G there's Larry. God, Larry's right down there on the earth. He's a mess. He blows it again and again and again. But he ever liveth to make intercession for Larry. And he says, you know what? He may be a goofball. He may mess up again and again. He has sinned so many times, more than I can even count. But you know what? He's covered under my blood. I paid the price for him. I died for him. I have clothed him in my righteousness. He is ever interceding for me. Romans 3 and 22. The righteousness of, from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. The good news is anyone can be right with God. Anybody in here today can be made right with God. Doesn't matter who you are, where you're from, what you've done, you can be right with God through Jesus Christ. There is hope.
He's our hope because he became like us. He became fully human and he can relate to every experience you'll ever have in your life. There's hope in him because he's our king. Because he's my king, he has authority to forgive sin, to give us power over death itself, to give us a brand new life. Why? Because he's the king. And there's hope in him. Why? Because he's our priest and he has power to make us right with God and and add us to his glorious family. He's my priest today and he ever liveth to make intercession for us. Now listen to me today. Some of you desperately need that hope this morning. You need Jesus Christ. You need to know him. You need that hope to fill your life. And maybe some of you came here discouraged and weary and fearful and and feeling betrayed and, and, and going through a lot of stuff. God has something great in store for you. He's my priest and he's my king. He has hope and he wants to give it to you and forever change you. And that hope that Zechariah talks about has a name, and his name is Jesus. Thanks for listening to the Faith Church Podcast. We are one church at five locations, streaming online every Sunday morning at live.faithishere.org. We hope that you're challenged and encouraged by today's message, and if you'd like to watch or listen to previous messages, or if you'd like to learn more about who we are as a church and how you can stay connected, head over to faithishere.org.